I need thee every hour. I love that. I love that so much. That's so true. I was so blessed by the worship through music today. I hope you were too. Thank you so much for leading us today and for Taylor. Appreciate that very much. We have one more milestone birthday in the house, friends. Myla turned 13 this week, right over here. So certainly having a new teenager among us um, is very much something we need to celebrate. So happy birthday from all of us. There is a book that I have really enjoyed called Peak Mind by Dr. Um, Mishi Jha is how I have said her name. Um, in this study, she speaks of, uh, in her research, she speaks of a study on focus. And participants are placed in front of a screen and they're asked to count in this basketball game the passes between those with white shirts. The team that has white shirts, all you must do is focus on how many times they pass the ball. And so they get to the end of the focus study and they ask how many times did they pass the ball. And if you said something, I think it was 14 or 15, then you were right. The second question though is, and did you see the gorilla? Zero percent got this right. What gorilla? They rewind and show you that in the middle of the game, what comes out as you're paying so close attention to the number of passes between those with white shirts, there's a man in a gorilla costume that comes out and then walks away, right? So Dr. Jha says that this study is often used to show how we can miss things that are right in front of us when we're paying attention to something else. She says that the reverse of this way of looking at this focus study is, is what she likes to bring out in her focus and her research on attention is that you have tremendous ability to focus. That when your mind is set on one task, when you are tasked with counting the passes between the white-shirted players, that your mind has the tremendous ability that even a crazy dressed-up gorilla can't get your mind away from what you have been asked to focus on. I love how she focuses this study in this way. In the book of Philippians, this focus where Paul is focusing on joy in the midst of his own story, he also highlights for us that struggle is part of the process. Struggle is part of the process. I'm not sure what you're facing or what you're going through, but let's just normalize this together. Struggle is a part of what it means to be human. Struggle is part of the process. Paul is under house arrest, having just gone through all he went through. He says he was flogged, shipwrecked, hungry, persecuted. The list could go on and on. But he reminds us that in the midst of the struggle, we have a tremendous, powerful weapon. Today, as we focus on this struggle, we see that one of our greatest defenses is our focus. One of your greatest defenses is your focus. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we invite your presence here. We invite your Holy Spirit to guide us. 
please quiet us so that we can hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 12, hearing these words. What is part of the process? If you were like most humans, part of your focus might have drifted while I was talking about focus and your attention might have gone off of where you wanted to have your attention while we were talking about attention. Struggle is part of the process and your greatest, your greatest defense is your focus. So even as we're talking about focus and we're talking about attention, our attention can wander. So would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 starting in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, Paul says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward, in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Paul says, this one thing I do, I press on towards the goal. We are right now in a crisis of attention. Everything is vying for your mind and mine in Paul's day, it happened too, but I think we have even more interruptions, even more distractions, even more things demanding our attention. So where is your focus? Where is my focus? What are we fixing our eyes on? Paul says he keeps his eyes fixed on the prize, the person of Jesus Christ, that the struggling, the striving, the straining all have meaning when he looks at Jesus. That's why Paul talks about Christ, the one through whom God was willing to send salvation to all of us, the one who was willing to empty himself, who did not consider equality with God something to be held onto, but he gave it up for me and for you. He looks to that Jesus, seeing his suffering and death, seeing his resurrection and soon return, Paul says, makes all the difference that it all makes sense, that the struggling and straining and striving makes sense when he looks at Jesus. Paul says, I fix my eyes on the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In this book, God's Amazing Grace, Ellen White says this way, that in the races Paul witnessed, only one received the prize, but in the heavenly race, we can all run and all can receive the prize. Kids, all of you can run the race, not just Sean. There is no uncertainty, no risk in the matter. We must put on the heavenly graces and with the eye directed upward to the crown of immortality, keep the pattern, capital P, this is keep Jesus ever before us. The humble, self-denying life of our divine Lord we are to keep constantly in view. How do you face the struggles and the trials and the strain and the stress that it is to be human? How is it that you are able to go through what you go through to press on when others think it's impossible for you to press on? Keeping in view constantly our divine Lord. 
And then as we seek to imitate him, keeping our eye upon the mark of the prize, we can run this race with certainty. This is what she says about that which Paul just shared with us, that this is what enlivened his life. This is what enabled him to go through what others thought he could not have gone through. This story that I was so grateful to read this week with my children, where, again, in this children's Bible story, it's quite true of what the gospel story says, but it simplifies it a little bit. Peter said, if it's you, Lord, let me get out of the boat and walk to you. For Jesus was doing the impossible, and Peter wanted to join Jesus in doing the impossible. So he got out, walked towards Jesus, but when he saw the waves, he got scared, and then he started to doubt. When he was okay, when he was secure, what was he doing? Where were his eyes? On Jesus, the prize. Jesus, the one who's able to hold us up. Jesus, the one to whom we can fix our attention. And this is where Paul says he has placed his focus. In verse 12, he uses two words, a pair of words that were most often used in the military context, to take hold of or to obtain. It was used in pursuit, one army pursuing another to take over something or to, to completely command an area. I believe it's the reason that Paul is using this military combination of terms. It especially highlights that in our focus there is a battle that rages and that we must seek hold of to obtain, to fix our attention, our energy, our focus, so that we do not lose or get distracted. Paul says, I haven't reached it. I haven't arrived. He openly admits, I'm not there yet. Does anyone want to admit you're not there yet? Yeah, okay, at least a half of us. I sink down into the waves sometimes. My mind wanders and my heart fails and my faith is sometimes giving way to doubt. But as one commentary says, paradoxically, only those who understand their lack of perfection have reached spiritual maturity. Paul vigorously pursues the knowledge of Christ, his sufferings, his resurrection power, his union with him on the final day. Because on the road to Damascus, the man who thought he had it all together found out he didn't. He realized that in that moment of his weakness, in that moment when Paul realized that all that he had that he thought made him right with God, he now realized it was nothing. As he said in the previous verse, it was all garbage, rubbish from the stink pile. All that I thought made me worthy didn't. But when I was at my lowest, on the road of Damascus, when God literally knocked him down from his high horse, in that very place, Jesus took hold of him. In that very place, Christ Jesus took hold of him and he realized that he was held secure by God. So his spiritual maturity actually comes by realizing his own weakness, his own being united with someone who is greater than himself. 
had this event not occurred in Paul's life on the Damascus Road, he might still be persecuting the church. He might still be threatening the people of God instead of calling out and drawing people's attention to the good news of Jesus Christ. He realizes that his weakness, in that moment of his complete weakness, in losing his feeling of being strong, in now feeling less adequate, less sure, less strong, less self-sufficient, he is now more spiritually mature. You see, spiritual maturity is not being able to do it by yourself. Spiritual maturity is dependence on Christ. It's the opposite of what we might think. You want your kids to grow up and become established and have their own home and not have to move back to your basement. But in this, God says, I want you to depend on me for your whole life. I don't want you to ever grow out of your need of me. I don't want you to ever think that you can do it on your own. Not an arrival day at some point when finally you've got it figured out, but yet instead a willingness to consciously choose to be dependent upon Jesus. Paul says in verse 14, in this beautiful way that can encourage us today, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I know what I'm aiming for, and so I keep moving towards it. During the most challenging times and seasons in my life, this has been life-sustaining for me. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. How do we keep pressing forward? Well, we need to forget. We need to forget. Going back to peak mind for a moment, Dr. Ja, she says that actually there's this link between working memory and long-term memory. She describes our working memory as a whiteboard that fills up with stuff. So where you parked your car, what you're going to buy on your shopping list, or what you're gonna say to your spouse when you get home, those are things that crowd your whiteboard. And actually, if your whiteboard gets crowded, your working memory gets overloaded, it blocks you from remembering or recalling long-term memory. And so there actually has to be space in your working memory for you to recall in long-term memory what you actually need to remember. So as you pause and pray, as you make space in your working memory, you are able to actually recall the things which you really believe in long-term memory. What this says for us as Christians is that we have to do enough forgetting in order to remember what we know to be true. There are things that you are going through right now that the chaos and the uncertainty and the struggle of whatever it is is causing you perhaps to have memory lapse in regards to who you know God to be. So as you sit down and pray, as you allow for the clearing of the space in your working memory, it allows you to actually remember what you know long term. Oh, God is love. God is good to me. God has always been faithful to me. God is the defender of the oppressed. God sees me, hears me, knows me, calls me, listens to my cry. When you sit down and pray, you're actually creating space in your working memory so that you can recall that which is in your long-term memory that you know is true. So when Paul says, I forget 
and I press on. I think he's pausing to remember. I think he's making space in his heart and mind to say, I know you to be true and to be faithful and to be good. Even though I sit under house arrest and I can't go where I want to go and even though my future is uncertain and I'm not sure what's going to happen, I remember long term who you are. I recall your goodness, O Lord. So when we pray, we actually clear space. When we Sabbath, like you are practicing Sabbath today, I hope you're practicing a mental Sabbath, an emotional Sabbath, not just a physical one. If you mentally allow yourself space, then you allow God to clear up so that you can remember who God is, so that you can draw back on what you know to be true about your God. In a Nike advertisement that happened uh, some years ago, a voice on the television came over and said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot, and I've missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. These words were spoken by Michael Jordan, someone that arguably is one of the greatest basketball players, someone that I've truly enjoyed watching. Same is true for other great leaders. President Lincoln, just for example, was defeated in the state legislature in Illinois in 1832, defeated for Congress in 1843, defeated for Congress again, 1848, defeated for the Senate, 1855, defeated for the vice presidential ticket, 1856, defeated again for the Senate, 1858. He then became president in 1860, and lives were changed because he stepped in to become the leader we needed at that time. All of those defeats, time and again, if you look at the people that you admire most, it's because they kept pressing on, they kept the prize clear, even when there were obstacles. These are the things that we usually think of forgetting, right? We think of creating space in the struggle of chaos. We think of forgetting about the failures and mistakes. We perhaps even think of forgetting the sins and mistakes of ourselves and others. But there's one more textual link here about what Paul says he forgets. He forgets those things in verses 8 to 11. He says he forgets his successes. He forgets his past spiritual successes that might lead him to believe the false idea that he had something to do with the grace of God. He forgets these things that he might look to or think of as his security. It's not that these things are no longer good, it's not that these very things are contemptible, but that these things that he thought where a part of reaching the goal of salvation are not. So he says, I even forget those things. We have to forget about the glory days sometimes. We have to forget about those days in the past or the way we can sometimes romanticize the past. We have a danger of thinking and comparing the present with whatever we have remembered or held on to from the past. So Paul says, I forget all of these things and I press on, I focus, I fix my mind upon Jesus. He says in verse 13, 14, to that which God has called me, 
This term call in Paul's letters has this rich meaning, drawing back on the people of Israel that God called in the Old Testament. That in Paul's letters, he highlights and emphasizes that God called people from social, economic, and ethnic, and all these different backgrounds, and he made them one people in Christ Jesus. Into the fellowship of Jesus Christ and into his kingdom, he has brought them all by his grace. And so he highlights this tension between what is now and what is not yet. Tension between what God calls his people to be and what they realize they actually are right now. It's like Paul is saying, hold on till the transformation is coming. I haven't arrived spiritually there, but I know that which God has called me to. When I get there, I will be transformed. Keep looking towards the pattern. Thus the effort, and I quote, Paul describes in Philippians 3, 12 to 14, is not expended in working for his salvation, but in the working out of his salvation. Paul uses these two phrases, that you are saved, and then you keep working out your salvation together with this community all throughout our life. We keep working out our salvation. Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what's behind me, forgetting these things that could so easily trip me up, I press forward. Paul doesn't get caught up in the next thing or the next thing, but he allows himself to be exactly where he is. I'm wondering if you've ever caught yourself being exactly where you are physically, and then suddenly you don't realize it, but you're suddenly somewhere else. You're there at some meeting and then suddenly you're dreaming about your vacation and thinking about only that and you're no longer there. Someone asked you a question and you don't have the slightest idea what they're talking about. You're mentally and emotionally in a different place. You could also be eating dinner with your spouse and find yourself having the very same thing happen or you're talking with your child and you're not sure you're following. We can find ourselves being in a different place than where we are physically because we're off to the next thing. It can be the big stuff too, the weighty things, the car, the job, the wife, the husband, the degree, the house, the spiritual walk, all of these things we can fix our mind that we're off to the next thing. But in the mundane, we do this all the time. We are not exactly where we are. Each of us can be robbed of being in our very present experience. So Paul says, I actually orient myself to where I actually am right now. He is present in his striving towards the final day as he is right where he is. This right here in the past informs this in the present and informs this in the future. But Paul says, I can only live right here in the present. He's evaluating his life in light of the judgment seat of Christ before he whom he and all of us as believers will be in one day. Paul is the ultimate example of living life to the fullest. He's fully present even when he's facing hardships, even when he is facing exactly that which he doesn't want to face. In this letter, even under house arrest, even in the midst of his own discomfort, Paul says, I'm seizing this opportunity Because I'm writing to you, Philippian church. I'm seizing this moment. I'm writing this letter to you to strengthen your heart. Live today. Press on towards the goal. Forget that stuff behind and press on 
to that which you have been called. You, called as one people, redeemed under Jesus Christ, go forward. Peter says something similar in another place in 1 Peter 4. I love, this is the message translation. Friends, if you find yourself right here, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you're in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. Glory just around the corner. Peter says it again in, verse, in chapter five. Keep a cool head, stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. That's the lie of the enemy that often comes. You're alone. You're the only one facing this struggle. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. Next slide. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word, yes he does. Even so, amen? amen. Yes he does. There's a transformation coming. There's a day we've been called by Christ Jesus and it's coming. So we live in this tension between the now and the not yet. We live in the in-between, but we can have confidence in what he is going to do, knowing that we will reach that day. Through the Christian life, this strenuous effort, the struggle is part of the process, yes. We have a choice. Where will we put our focus? Where will we put our attention? Paul is constantly drawing our attention towards Jesus Christ. God is constantly drawing us back to himself. Paul also uses 1 Corinthians 9 in this illustration of the runner. As we look at this final text, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? This is where Ellen White says we all get the prize in this race. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. There was a summer back in the days when Josiah, uh, Caleb and I didn't have Josiah or Ava. We would go on these trips that were a little bit more loose in their adventure um, because we didn't feel like we needed to have it all so planned when we had um, just the two of us. We could just show up into a place and figure it out once we got there. So we booked tickets for a country in Central America and didn't really pay too much attention to the place that we had booked for lodging. We just booked the tickets and we booked the place that we did for lodging. And then we got our rental car, which was a really like a micro size, it was super, super small, and we hit the Pan American Highway. But as we put it into this really old, you know, international GPS thing that we had, um, we realized that we would be driving for a very long time, and indeed this was a larger country than what we had thought when we booked this and when we had not paid attention to where we were booking. So we hit the road for maybe five or six hours, 
But what we realized as we were going along that though the road was pretty smooth in some places, there were also places that you didn't know when they would come, but that were incredibly full of potholes. So you could be traveling on this road that was super smooth and then suddenly hit something that was very, very different, right? So as we were traveling along, we also saw bicycles, semi-trucks, people going in front of us, roosters, sheep, horse, horses, donkeys, but the worst were those deep potholes that you didn't know when they were going to come about. They were just a surprise. Smooth, smooth, smooth for hours, and then suddenly there was this giant pothole that you didn't know where it came from. There were also these beautiful things all around us because it was super lush, jungle, all of the mountains and the sunset and the birds on the line and people riding horses past us and even these good and beautiful things. The, the point when I hit our first pothole as I was driving was because I was distracted by something really beautiful and turned away from the road. <laughs> Life is like this Pan American Highway road stretch that we were on that suddenly there will be things that cause us, and this literally did happen, to blow your tire and bend your wheel because suddenly it's there and you don't realize that it would be there. We can be surprised by places in our life that we come and suddenly the ground goes out from underneath you. In that place, as you're paying attention to this road, or you might get distracted a little bit, as you fix it and repair it and keep going on, what the invitation of Paul and the invitation of Jesus is, as you're going through this journey, as you're driving along this path, refocus, fix your mind, get back to, you don't know or have control over when the potholes will come, you don't know when the distractions will come in your life, but fix your mind. Fix your heart. Where is your focus? Where is your attention? There are beautiful things, there are hard things. All can distract us, but fix your mind and heart and attention. Because the prize we discover is Jesus Christ himself. The prize for which God calls us heavenward is to be with God. And so Paul says, fix your mind, focus your heart, stay attuned to the prize. So I want to ask you today, what has your focus? Where is your attention? This is an invitation from God in this journey to fix our mind on Jesus.